Welcome, everyone, to our latest NCAA Social Series. I'm Andy Katz. I'm pleased to be joined by Amy Wilson. She is the Managing Director of the NCAA Office of Inclusion. Uh, in her previous life, she played basketball and softball at Illinois College, Division III school. And we're going to go over the Title IX report in the 50th anniversary year of Title IX. So even before we get to the report, I wanted to mention your previous athletic life just to get a sense from you. As a former student athlete, what did Title IX mean to you personally? Well, thank you, Andy, and great to be with you today and have the opportunity to talk about this milestone anniversary of Title IX. And yeah, I have very fond memories of that, that time playing sports at Illinois College. And, you know, um, we, we won, my teammates and I won the women's basketball championship for our conference in 1993. So I am going to date myself a little bit. But wow, is that a vivid memory? And I don't remember the score. I know we won. I don't remember the score, though. I just remember the people and just what an amazing experience that was. And so I thought about that a lot yesterday on the day and how grateful I am that there's been a law like that has, that has opened up those opportunities. Because I know I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you today if I had not had the opportunity to be a student athlete. So let's dive deeper into uh, this report. Um, there were certainly some pros. I don't know if I necessarily say cons, but areas to work on because right. we've come a long way and there still is certainly more growth to go. Um, so let's first deal with student participation, mm -hmm. uh, comparing male and, and, and female student athlete participation. What did you find in this study? Well, there is a trend that has been continuous since Title IX was passed in 1972 and it's something to celebrate. The tra trajectory of participation for male and female student athletes has continued to rise together. That's a good thing because when Title IX was passed and there was a realization about a year after the, the um, law was signed that it applied to athletics, there was a major backlash against it. A lot of worry that if women entered the scene that it would be the demise of men's athletics and it hasn't been. So I think the great part of the story is that the participation opportunities have grown together. Um, what we're paying attention to are things like there still is a gap. So, um, you know, right now across all of our campuses, um, you know, there are about 56% of the student athletes are our men's programs and about 44% are women. So there's still that gap there. Uh, we know that more women are going to college today than men as well. So we wanna pay attention to that. Title IX is a law about accommodating the interests and abilities that are there. So wanna pay attention to that. We also wanna be looking at, um, you know, our, our student athletes in, in all of their identities. And so when we, we think about our minority student athletes, um, a lot of them are playing certain sports. So for example, female student athletes of color are congregated in sports like track and field and basketball at about over 60% of our participants. So it's thinking about how do we grow the numbers and how do we give access to more sports to more of our student athletes that are becoming more and more diverse as the years go forward. So I want to myth bust something mm -hmm. here because I think it's an incredible crutch and it, you know it, to me it is lazy when years ago this is not as much now but during the course of this study over you know a 20 year period um, it was easy to say well we had to cut these men's sports because of title IX, because we had to get our numbers up and football brings it so much when in reality you know money is money and there's no reason an athletic department could not have created a way to save x sport just the way you fund 
you know, 10 strength coaches, or you find ways right. to fund these other entities within certain sports. There are ways to do and to distribute it equally if you want to keep sports. So help me break that myth about why Title IX yeah. was not the result of canceling men's sports. Yeah, so Annie, thank you. you. You really did a nice job summarizing that. Title IX has been the scapegoat, and there's very intentionally a section in the report that looks historically since the late 80s until now, what are the net uh, added and dropped teams for men and women? And it's, it's really close. And it's really interesting. The only division that has more men's drop teams than women's, you're, you're looking at division one, where more of the money and resources are. So you're absolutely right. With careful planning, strategic planning, and making decisions about all of your student athletes, what's good for them, we can certainly avoid that. And the Office for Civil Rights that enforces Title IX has said, you know, in their, in their guidance to schools, this is not a law about taking away, right? It's a law about accommodating the interests and abilities are there. And so if I can just for a moment share a really positive story um, about what you just said about the, the blaming of Title IX. Um, for a lot of the 80s and into the 90s and even the 2000s, the wrestling community and Title IX have had an adverse relationship. It's been a lot of wrestling programs that have been dropped and schools have said it's Title IX. Uh, our emerging sport program for women, wrestling has the most teams in that program is, and is on its way to being a championship. And what I've seen happen in the last five years or so men's wrestling leadership, women's wrestling leadership, all coming together and the sports are rising together. So I think one of the great stories on this 50th anniversary is a sport that's had a, you know, kind of a divisive relationship with Title IX. Not only are we gonna see, hopefully it do better for men, but women rising with it. So there are lots of other ways to look at this. You're absolutely right. Yeah, first of all, it's all about prioritizing. Yes. So I don't wanna hear athletic directors uh, claim that they couldn't pull it off. Right. When in reality they could, they are choosing to prioritize certain sports, certain staffers above another sport, certainly on the men's side. All right. So I had to get on my soapbox there. <laughs> um, so let's talk about the coaching aspect because right. that has grown, but there's still an issue of men coaching women. Not that there's something wrong with it, but we need more women coaching women, getting them in to sort of the feeder system of being grad assistants, assistant coaches, and right. then climbing up and also making it lucrative enough. I use that relative term mm -hmm. so that it makes sense as a career path, right? So that the money is obviously maybe not equal, but at least better than it has been. Where, what'd you find in that part of the report? Yeah, you're right. You know, um, people are shocked to hear that when we look at all three divisions across the NCAA, that, um, you know, nearly 60% of the head coaches of women's teams are men. Okay, like, wait, what'd you say? You know, I always get the like double take on that. And so, and I first, I, I wanna clarify, we have amazing male role models and great male coaches coaching women. And it's not about, you know, asking them to step aside, but it, you're right, it's a pipeline issue. How do we get young women who love sports, who wanna, you know, give back to that, see that as a profession. And so, you know, we work with a number of different organizations on that pipeline. We have a great leadership development program at the NCA that is finding student athletes who want careers in athletics and really trying to, to you know, to move that forward. And, and you might say, well, what about the assistant coach pipeline? Are there more women and women's teams? And it's 50-50 when you look at women's teams. 50% of the assistant coaches of women's teams are male and 50% are female. So the numbers are a little better, but not a lot better. So we've got really got to be strategic about how we grow those opportunities because we want our young men and young women to have both kinds of, you know, all kinds of diverse role models. And we're better when we bring more diversity to the table for sure. 
All right, how would you compare divisions one, two, and three in this, in this study in terms of equity within Title IX? Yeah, you know, there, there's some, it's, it's interesting. Um, division one has the lowest gap in the participation rates between men and women. It's only at about 6%, but they have the biggest gap in the spending differences, right? Um, division three has the best numbers for female athletics directors, but has the lowest number of student, diverse student athletes. So there's just lots of different things that you can look at. And it's, it, it's very interesting to get into the the numbers and, and what each of the divisions, um, you know, areas where they may need to focus. But it's an important point because one of the great things about the NCA is those 1,100 schools that we have are all different sizes, all different missions. You know, uh, the bottom line is that we all serve our student athletes. So, and as a Division three athlete who also got a PhD in an FBS institution and worked in athletics there, I've seen I've seen it on all ends of the continuum. And what I can say is, no matter if it's you know top five FBS or if it's a small division three school, these opportunities are empowering student athletes. So, you know, we, we want to be cognizant of the special challenges of each of those divisions. But in terms of spending, participation, and leadership, there can be a bit of a different focus for areas to work on at each of those divisions. I'm going to get to leadership in a moment. Yeah. Uh, facilities, though. Yeah. Uh, obviously, we have seen a crazy growth, Right. Um, it, it, certainly in division one in the high profile revenue streaming sports. Mm -hmm. um, what'd you find in terms of where Title IX has affected hopefully positively yeah. new facilities in primarily women's sports? Yeah, so um, the, the data that we collect in over 30 or 35 different data points from our member schools um, gives us some highlights of that. But what's really interesting about Title IX is that it's a lot all about student athlete experience. So um, we have seen the spending on the women's side go up. It's not like, you know, it's kind of like participation. It's going up for both. Just that gap sort of stays there. So we are seeing better facilities built for women, and, and that's great. Um, but you, you have to think about when you look at your student athletes on your men's program and they're your women's program, what is their overall experience in terms of the types of facilities they're playing in? So it's not a Title IX violation to spend more on a facility um, because you need a bigger one to accommodate 70,000 people who will buy the ticket, whereas your volleyball or whatever other facility might not be. It, but it's all about what experience does a student athlete have within that facility. So I caution people against always looking at the money. You have to think about how is that money impacting student athletes. And that's something a lot of people don't understand about Title IX. They think when they look at the numbers, there's automatically a violation. There's not, but you have to dig deeper. And here's a shocker that people may not know, but is true is that travel, as an example, is equitable in terms of charter travel in NCAA championships, men's basketball, women's basketball, but it is not at the individual school level. Uh, once again, that is a choice, that is a priority that some schools will decide, okay, right. our men's basketball team, our football team is gonna travel via charter. Our other sports, women's basketball, softball is not. Yeah. Um, and they make that choice. Uh, what did you find, if any, about <laughs> those amenities, yeah. uh, for lack of a better term, of how they are, are unequal? Right. So um, it's difficult to, to track that on, a, on an aggregate or national level. But what I can say is that timeline covers three areas, participation, scholarships, and then the area you just talked about, the treatments and benefits, which are 
how you travel, what you eat, your facilities, the uniform you wear, all of those things that I say matter most to a coach or, or a student athlete or even administrators. So if schools are doing what you just said, we're going to allow our, our men, you know, this, this many of our male student athletes to travel in this way, and they're not providing equitable treatment on the other side with some of the women's teams in a proportional way, um, that, that's going to be a violation for Office for Civil Rights to look into. I mean, we try to help schools do the right thing, and then the Office for Civil Rights would be the one that would enforce it. So those sorts of decisions can be setting up for problems later if we're not careful, because that is definitely one of those treatment issues that falls under Title IX. Well, and I'm still waiting to see, you know, some of those uh, video tours of the new uh, housing for exclusively only female athletes. Uh, we see them yeah. time and time again, yeah. you know, these lodges, these housing uh, for the men's side that look like palatial, you know, luxury right. uh, apartments. Um, and we don't see that yet for the women. So again, right. this right. is another issue that a lot of these schools have to catch up on. I mentioned yeah. leadership. Yeah. And we are seeing more and more athletic directors and conference commissioners yeah. uh, that are women. Um, light years from 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Uh, what did you find in terms of the numbers and how that is growing? Yeah, so when Title IX was passed, 90 plus percent of the administrators and coaches of women's teams were women, right? And there was no money in it. There was not a lot of prestige yet. And it was 80% athletic directors that just fell off a cliff. So uh, down to 20%. What we have seen in the last decade or so is that number is inching up towards 25%. So it's a slow climb, but we are seeing progress. Um, I attribute that to, um, you know, the NCA investing money in things like our leadership development programs, our partnerships with groups like the, the Minority Opportunities Athletics Association or MOA, Women Leaders in College Sports, We Coach. There's a lot of national organizations working on this too, and they partner with us. So it takes a lot of intentional efforts. And I'll, I'll just be honest, Andy, you know, as a call out to leadership, it takes, you know, presidents and chancellors and, and leaders in higher education who are willing to say, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give a, a female a chance. I'm going to give a woman of color a chance to lead this conference or to, you know, to, to lead. I was just on a panel in Washington, D.C. yesterday with Sonia Steeles, the commissioner of the MEAC, and with Heather Like one of the you know, five women who are um, ADs and, and FBS, right? The power five. And these women are rocking it, right? They're doing great. So we just need, we need more leaders to, to give, um, give these, these, these amazing women a chance. So we'll hope we see that happen. But it's been a slow, it's been a slow climb. And I think the more they're successful, that I'd love to see any, I know you would too, as a, as a dad, you know, as a, as a girl dad, um, that we don't see it as taking a risk. We just look and we see that's an awesome leader and, and we're going to, uh, you know, give that person a chance to lead. Not, well, if it's a woman, it's a chance or a risk or so I'm, I'm hoping we can change that narrative. Well, and also I would hope if they're watching uh, these, you know, headhunter firms, yes. uh, you know, the search firms that so many schools rely on for hires or interviews uh, that they really broaden their pool. We've seen it, right. but they need to continue to do right. even more of that. All right, so now we've looked back. Um, what are some things you can see in the near future? Uh, we know that you know television rights will be coming up. Right. Uh, that you can see that um, will continue. You know this trend in the right direction. Yeah, I think you know there have been some events of the past few years that have certainly called attention to how how a society overall and especially 
the world, the corporate broadcast world, valuing women's sports and what is the values. I think we're at a really pivotal point in history um, where we have a chance to redefine that. And, you know, resources, money, that matters. And so uh, I'm looking forward to the NCA getting a chance to, to you know, in, in coming years to see what, what we can do with the, the amazing product we have for all of our student athletes to offer the world. And I'm hoping there's a ripple effect there, right? And in professional sport and at all levels. Um, you know, because I think there's growing interest, right? We're seeing more seats filled. We're, we're seeing, you know, I, a lot of the men in my family were glued to the, the women's softball championship and it was great, you know? So, um, you know, it, it is a pivotal time for us to, you know, to look at that. And I think too, um, the area of Title IX that sort of gets lost in the shuffle is one you've referenced, you know, lots of times. What is the experience like on our campuses for our student athletes? And so, that's very much on the mind of the NCA as we work on our championships and improving equity and we're making strides. So hopefully the membership and our schools, we can rise together in the coming years so that all of our student athletes feel like, gosh, I, I trade places with you. And while it may not be exactly the same because of historical differences or different things with the sports, you know, I, I trade places. It looks pretty good over there on the other side. So I'm, I'm hoping we're gonna get to that point. How much are we at a, a, a critical juncture of ensuring that we continue the momentum beyond this 50 year anniversary. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's so much going on in the public space right. um, that we need to make sure that the momentum continues, whether it's the grassroots level, high school, college, yeah. Yeah. NAIA, JC, you know, conference all the way to Washington where you just were at the congressional right. level and beyond. Um, right. How do we make sure that that momentum continues? Yeah, you know, I, I think it, it's going to take a, a lot of really smart people committing to getting around a table to looking at pros and cons of decisions, because from everything to NIL to um, student athletes as employees to a lot of the transitions and changes that are being discussed across intercollegiate athletics, those are going to have ramifications to broad based athletics programs that want to increase participation and spread out those opportunities and, you know, um, we're unique as a nation. You know, we have, we, we have a kind of a central belief that, that these experiences in athletics as part of education and power and help our student athletes reach their potential. So I, I would just hate to see programs on campuses start to shrink, right? So we're only gonna invest in those programs that make, that make a lot of money, right? And don't even, not even the ones that have potential to make money. So I think we have to have visionaries who will look down, can look down the road 10, 15, 20 years, 50 years and say, this decision now could lead us there. Let's really stop for a second and see if this is the best way forward. And, and you know what's so great? We've seen the last year, put the sports on, they will <laughs> rate, they will be watched. Yeah. People will sit in the stands. Oh, here comes NIL. Oh, it's just for men's basketball and football. No, 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 no. Plenty of female athletes yeah. are doing quite well in the NIL space and will continue to do so. Right. Uh, and so again, it all comes down to opportunity that we want to continue. It does, uh, you're right. So look, before I get out of here, where can people find uh, if they want to do a deeper dive on the report? Yeah, so if you go to NCA.org um, and, and click on inclusion, it's all over our front page. So on the top bar, there's an inclusion button. Everything is there. Um, it's, it's been covered um, pretty widely by the media and the reports out there, but it's on NCA.org. And not only is the report there, but our title line at 50 celebration webpage is there. I just want to commend our member schools. We've been highlighting a lot of what they're doing to celebrate this and, and our conference offices, our schools have really embraced this and, and the celebration is going to go on, right? This call to action all the way through um, 
next year in March Madness and all three women's championships, divisions one, two, and three at the same location. So we're gonna culminate the celebration there and find out more about that and resources, right? How do you comply with this law? How does this work? Um, we provide we provide that sort of um, you know support for the membership. So we're here, hopefully, you know, as a national office works on doing better, the membership is engaged as well, and we can all move forward together. It's just, it's so important when I mean, you, you know, gosh, I mean, outside of athletics, women who played sports, 90 plus percent of our CEOs have sports somewhere in their background. I and mean, you can just look at all sorts of data outside of the world of athletics. Girls and women who play sports are finding a lot of success later in life and attributing it back to this experience. So it's a great time to renew our commitment. Well, Amy, thank you for your exhaustive yeah. work on this, your advocacy, which I know will continue. Uh, and as Amy says, you can go to NCAA.org, not just for the Title IX report, but of course, NCAA.org slash social series, where all our social series are archived. Amy, thanks again for taking some time out of your schedule. Love the shirt. Uh, <laughs> and to everyone out there, continue the fight. Thanks for watching. Thanks, Amy.